This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. U.S. frets over Chinese supercomputing. And my testimony from Capitol Hill. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. And This Week in HPC is distributed in partnership with our friends at top500.org. Michael, This Week in HPC, we're kind of catching up on two weeks in HPC. We're both traveling a lot over the past couple of weeks partly to do with the news that we're going to cover. Uh, There was a report that came out of the U.S. government reacting to the new Chinese five-year plan, their 13th five-year plan, and the U.S. government concerns about apparent Chinese leadership at the top of the supercomputing market. There's a report that came out from the NSA and DOE with regards to that, and I testified for a commission from the uh, U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission on uh, on Capitol Hill. And we'll get to that second. But, Michael, why don't we start with that report? And you wrote up an article on it on top500.org. Right. This report was just recently released into the public domain now. The, it was dated December 2016. And the actual meeting that it was based on took place in uh, September of 2016. So it was, it was written up in the interim as the, uh, the U.S. election happened and, and took place, and then it was written up. But the, the document's titled, the report's titled, U.S. Leadership in High-Performance Computing, a report from the NSA DOE Technical Meeting on High-Performance Computing. And basically, it got together about 60 representatives from the DOE and NSA, as well as also a few from the NSF, um, intelligence advanced research project activity a few users some vendors and even academia but basically it was it was being run by the NSA and DOE and they were there to sort of talk about and assess sort of our leadership role the country's leadership role and how it's being threatened by the rise of Chinese supercomputing something we've talked about obviously for for several years now yeah, and, and the reaction here is, you know, a lot of people, the big metric they look at is the top 500 list. And if you look at the top of the top 500 list, well, the most powerful supercomputer in the world has been in China for the last four years, starting with Tianhe, which was upgraded to Tianhe 2, and now the Sunway Taihu Light System, which is 125 peak petaflops and 93 delivered petaflops on Linpack is you know, is larger than the three largest supercomputers in the U.S. combined. And, and plus the number two system is still also Tianhe 2. So the top two systems are in, in China. And a big question they wanted to address in that report is, is China really the leader in supercomputing right now? Right. And I think the Tahu Light System in particular was sort of a watershed event for the community and sort of the thinking about the Chinese. I mean, the the Tianhe 2 system certainly was was a big deal, but the Tianhe Light System um, was a system that was highly regarded as as a very competent machine, not a stunt machine. It had applications running on it at scale. In fact, it got three of the six uh, Gordon Gordon Bell uh, competitors on on that system, it it had applications that actually ran well, and it looked like a very usable machine, and it was much larger than any other machine. It it had, it had leapfrogged everybody else, like like you had said, but by a huge margin. 
So this started, I think, worried the community and, and sort of generated a lot of this interest and concern. Um, so as I, as I read this thing, that the background was sort of the concern of this system and then all the other things going on in China as they're building towards more HPC capability around this thing, but especially with regard to this. And, uh, I mean, my write-up, I think you, should, you can read it on Top 500. It's got some analysis in there. My general take on this report is that uh, this group overreacted quite a bit to, to that event, the Tiahu Light System in particular, but also towards what was happening. And, and they painted sort of a very grim picture of what could happen if basically the U.S. government just sort of gave up on HPC and just let China sort of float to the top on its own and then see what happens. But my, my general impression was they, they painted it in such a way that it was sort of the worst possible scenario on what could happen and not, not on what is going to happen. And simultaneous to this, Michael, I was testifying in Washington in the Dirksen Senate office building on Capitol Hill. We'll come back to the report in a second, but these are kind of overlapping yeah. uh, developments here. The U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission, uh, which is abbreviated to USCC, you can find the hearing at uscc.gov, uh, held a hearing on China's pursuit of next frontier technology. And there were three panels. The first panel was on computing topics, the second on robotics, and the third on biotechnology. I myself was part of the first panel on computing in the morning. Uh, this was on March 16th. And uh, I was one of three panelists there talking predominantly about high-performance computing and supercomputing. There were two other panelists, Mark Brinda, a partner from Bain & Company, whose uh, area of expertise was in cloud, and John Costello, who's a senior analyst uh, for Flashpoint, uh, talking predominantly about quantum technologies, although I think, I think there was some overlap between all three of those. I certainly discussed mm -hmm. quantum and cloud uh, in the context of my testimony. We all provided written testimony, and then uh, for an hour and a half, we each gave a, an opening statement and then answered questions from a, a commission of uh, eight members who were all either, uh, there were two former senators and then some uh, congressional aides of various sorts all reporting back to Congress. Uh, and you can find my complete testimony. My written testimony is, first of all, on the Intersect 360 research website, intersect360.com. But you can find all of it, my written testimony and the uh, video of the oral testimony at uscc.gov under the hearings section. You find that hearing from March 16th. Uh, on the uh, pursuit, uh, China's pursuit of next frontier technology. There are links to the video and everybody's written testimony. And this is exactly what was being discussed as to what extent uh, the U.S. is threatened by Chinese advancements in supercomputing and who has the lead and is that changing and what are the implications for uh, the United States in terms of industry, in terms of scientific research, and in terms of national security. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of interest in this area, and I think a lot of it's being generated from what the, you know, these government representatives are are actually reading about in the press. There's a lot of there's been a lot of articles. Certainly, I've read them, um, not not for me, but there's a lot of articles that have uh, that have positioned the Chinese as if they are 
uh, sort of lapping us in supercomputing and, and sort of pointing to what we were just talking about, the Sunway Tahu light system, as, as an example of that. Um, so it's not surprising that there's that, that Congress and the U.S. government in general is going to be concerned about this and is going to want to start to gather the facts. This is a big deal. It's, it's not like the Japanese have built the Earth simulator. They're basically our allies. China is a, is a political competitor and a potential military competitor, and there's a lot of concern, and, and certainly an economic competitor, um, and so there's a lot of concern about a country like that sort of putting us in the second place in in sort of this critical area of technology. And, and certainly, uh, I'm sure you sort of picked up on that and when, when you were talking to these guys and maybe some of the questions they asked. Yeah, and I think a big aspect of the testimony that I provided as well as in this DOE NSA report that you wrote the article on is there's a lot of painting the picture of why supercomputing and high-performance computing are important and why leadership is important. And I don't think we need to convince our listeners of that too much right. or, or belabor that point. But the, with regard to the question of leadership, then it becomes down to the, the point of what do you mean by leadership at, at this level? If you look at conventional metrics of either uh, technology supply or uh, on, uh, on the supply side or the consumption of, of HPC, the U.S. has a dramatic lead over China still. The U.S. consumes five times more HPC than China does by revenue, and, and that's not likely to change in the, in the near term. But at the absolute zenith of supercomputing, I don't think you can discount the Sunway Taihu light system and, and how good it is for, for what it's doing. Uh, and, and you can't ignore the fact that the number one supercomputer in China has been, uh, no, sorry, the number one supercomputer in the world has been in China for the last four years. And China will almost certainly reach an exascale system, uh, before the U.S. does. I think that does have, implications, but they're largely long-term implications. And if you look at what would be the effect of disinvestment in the U.S. community, well, it would take a long time, but eventually you could get to where there, there is technological leadership in China and, and U.S. companies start becoming reliant on Chinese technologies for supercomputing. And and in the report, that was, was one of the main concerns, that the Chinese would actually get so far ahead of us in developing this technology, these technologies indigenously, as they did with some of the Tahu light components, that that they would actually disrupt the market here. And our, the U.S. itself couldn't rely on itself um, for its HPC leadership or the control of HPC. In other words, they would be reliant – uh, for China on some of the componentry and maybe even some of the systems, just as as some of our European uh, nations, our allies like Germany and France and others are sort of reliant on U.S.-based companies for the, the basic componentry and, and much of the systems uh, that, that they use in their HPC applications. That, right. would be, that would be quite a bit different for the U.S. to get in that position. And so the report sort of paints this picture that that absent sort of aggressive U.S. action, that's what's going to happen. The U.S. will lose its leadership and not control its future. And I sort of have a real hard time 
seen that in any time frame that where you could make any rational prediction about this thing. You've got well, all I these... think you, you can make a rational prediction, but I just think it takes longer than that report uh, it intimates. But yeah, it, they're, it, they're talking about a decade or, or even less that we could lose our leadership and start to suffer some of these consequences, which is, I mean, I don't know how you feel, but I, that's hard to see considered the amount of momentum behind the, the sort of the supply chain, the vendors, the community, right. the software, everything that goes into making this ecosystem, all of a sudden just because China builds you know, a, few, a, a, a processor on par with that of a U.S. processor or, or other componentry or even a system or two, that, that that's going to shift the balance of power, even if they become very aggressive at it and very good at it, how that's going to shift the balance of power in in a matter of years rather than decades. But I see, Michael, I think that's where the concern comes from, is that with Taihu Light, there has been a shift where this is now a supercomputer composed entirely of technologies indigenous to China. And almost across the board, China has a, has closed the gap between what they can produce inside China and what's available commercially, particularly from U.S. vendors. Now, I would still say that the U.S. leads in processor technologies, but the, the Sunway processor, that 260-core system on a chip, is a very interesting processor that's different from what's commercially available in the U.S. and, and is right. at least in the same peer mention. The only area where I think the U.S. still has a a dramatic lead over the Chinese is in the system interconnect where the, the Chinese can't produce an interconnect that's on par or in the same peer group with either a Mellanox InfiniBand or an Intel OmniPath. Or if you look at some of the custom interconnects that are available from some of the vendors, uh, like a Cray Aries, which is in the U.S., or a Fujitsu Tofu out of Japan or a Bull BXI out of France, we don't see anything like that in China right now. Although I think they have produced uh, uh, some of their own interconnects on, on some of the systems, but right, they, but but even on the processor side, it's very piecemeal. I mean, the Shenway processor that is in Tahu Light is is something on a on a, on a product line basically that's that's relatively new, and they came up with this thing, and it's on par with something maybe like a Xeon Five, but it doesn't exceed anything that's being produced in the U.S. or likely to be produced by a U.S.-based um, entity anytime soon. I mean, it's, it's, it's an achievement, certainly, mm -hmm. but it, it's not something that uh, I, I think Intel is going to start to worry about or NVIDIA or IBM or, or even any of the ARM-based vendors that are, that are not Chinese-based, at least, are going to start to worry about in the near term. There's a mm -hmm. lot of engineering that goes into making these chips and it's not like the chinese have this magic formula to make chips that are going to leapfrog all the western made designs in in a few years or a decade or even a generation there's everybody sort of has the same tools to work with and to me this is more a matter of uh, a, a large economic power like china catching up to the u.s in some of these areas because now it has the wherewithal to do the R&D and the necessary funding to, to be on the same stage. I mean, people say within, depending upon who you talk to, within the next two years to 12 years, the, China will be an economic power that will basically be the same size as the U.S. And you have to expect if that happens, 
they're going to have a lot of the same infrastructure and technologies and goals and uh, uh, other components that make up what we would consider now as U.S. leadership. And so we're going to have that competition. But it's not like all of a sudden the U.S. is going to give up either in R&D or, or on the commercial side, on the commercial RSD, uh These companies are just going to give up and say, oh, we're just going to cede the, the leadership to China just because now they've become an economic power on par with us. It's just going to be a different relationship now. We can't take our leadership for granted because now we have uh, somebody that's going to be an economic peer in very short order. And so you're going to have to expect that we're going to have certain, you know, they're going to have certain um, technologies and products that are going to be on par with that of the U.S.-based systems. Well, I mean, I agree with you that the timeline, it doesn't happen that quickly. If you take the long view, I think it's the vector, the direction that people are most concerned about. And I do disagree with one thing that you said with regards to everyone having access to the same technologies. I think that's the big thing that people are are concerned about, that if you, the last point I would make about it is that there is a really a, a difference in approach that the U.S. approach has been for the government to buy supercomputers from established vendors who then want to sell the technologies not only in the U.S. but worldwide if they can. Here the Chinese have shown a different intent to develop the technologies internally and then it becomes questionable to what extent those technologies are commercially available inside or outside China. And you can look at the effect of the different vendors here. The U.S. vendors are competing on a worldwide stage. Now, they, they have trouble competing for the Chinese government uh, uh, procurements, just like the Chinese vendors have trouble competing for the U.S. government procurements. But if you look at uh, you know Intel and IBM and HPE and Dell, they all have these major... Uh, Chinese presences. The Chinese vendors, in as much as Inspur has the most HPC presence in chi- inside China, they don't sell much outside China. The the leading companies that are have a Chinese headquarters in terms of selling HPC technologies outside China would be Lenovo, would be the obvious one, right? And then Huawei, which you know has a, a smaller but growing presence. They're about one percent of the market, but they're now showing. Uh, a, a real marketing effort to try to grow that. Yeah, and I th- I think right now I think you're right. The the, the Chinese efforts are being um, focused at the high end and not at the commercial end. But I mean, one of the one of the concerns about this report is that that will that will turn. They will actually start developing componentry and systems aimed at the larger world market and will undercut and and devalue the U.S. based. Uh, technology and vendors, um, they didn't exactly go into how that would happen, but certainly they can, the Chinese can start developing ARM-based systems, even x86-based systems or open power systems, and compete at that level. And if they can undercut um, the U.S.-based systems on price or some other criteria, that could be a worry. But that's not what's happening right now, certainly. And it, it remains to be seen how that actually plays out. It's not like any of those companies I talked about, IBM, Intel, NVIDIA, or anybody else is going to sit down and and, uh, not compete effectively on a worldwide basis and do what they can to blunt anything like that if if the Chinese decide to go in that direction. Um, 
Now, just coincidentally, uh, the vendors I happen to be spending time with right now, I'm about to go on a visit to North Carolina, see Lenovo's HPC team for their annual industry analyst meeting. And aside from that, last week, uh, I was just at uh, CBIT, or I should say this week, I was just at CBIT uh, spending time with Huawei, who put together a panel of HPC customers and also started to outline some of their vision for a hybrid cloud solution, a public-private HPC cloud solution, where they really focus on having a consistent environment from on-premise into the cloud that a lot of their partners were really responding quite well to. So really indicative of uh, some of the effort that Huawei is putting into uh, growing its presence going forward. Yeah, I, I think that's actually, I think, from a, an HPC vendor point of view and a U.S.-based vendor, those those companies should be probably more of a worry maybe than than what's going on at the higher echelons of the government because Lenovo certainly Huawei and some of these others they do have designs on a world market and they do have certain uh, efficiencies and strategies they can employ to compete with uh, some of the U.S. based vendors or even uh, European based vendors for that matter so that that'll be an interesting dynamic to work with and it will be interesting to see if the if the Chinese government starts to leverage its power to help those companies uh, compete at a, on a more international basis. Yeah, and we do see Huawei growing in this space. They've started to come up more yep. in our market models. It was good to spend time with their HPC team at CBIT this past week and get some some more view on, on their vision going forward and their partners. Meanwhile, Michael, we've been on a long podcast, but then you were on the road too. You were just at Rice for the oil and gas workshop. Right, that was uh, right. The uh, 2017 oil and gas uh, conference at Rice in in Houston. Uh, that was a very interesting um, uh, conference and session. There, they had a, it was a two day session. They had about oh, it was over 400 people there. Uh, it was a it was a good set of sessions. Some good, really good uh, keynote sessions and uh, some uh, explanatory sessions of what the different vendors in the community were do. Not not to try and encapsulate it in in anything less than it deserves. I was I was struck by two things at this conference: the amount of uh, sort of machine learning and AI interest that's being uh, talked about in this community now. I mean, typically, you know, we talk about the seismic analysis and reservoir modeling and all these things that are very traditional HPC physics-oriented simulations. But now there's a lot of interest in incorporating machine learning uh, types of applications and technologies into these workloads and and to, to leverage those in, in doing some of the same uh, some of the same goals that oil and gas uh, companies want to do in finding these reservoirs and maximizing the uh, the uh, the yield from existing ones but there's a lot of interest now in in exploiting these uh, goals. Now, this is all at the very beginning. Nobody had any even case studies of this, but there was a lot of talk about this. And then the other thing that struck me is uh, sort of the lack of, of um, GPU computing, especially for the big companies at, uh, that were being done in the more traditional sides of this. People, for the most part, at the, at the large providers and the, the large oil and gas companies themselves aren't using GPUs to the extent that you would think they were. They've, the oil and gas uh, sector was one of the early users of HPC or the GPUs in HPC, but it it hasn't penetrated it in a in a general sense that you might have guessed, you know, six years ago when it it looked like a very good application match. And I'm not sure 
What the reasoning for that is, I have a feeling a lot of it is just legacy code that is hard to convert to a new uh, platform, but it's, it didn't have the penetration, at least the way it was talked about at this particular, uh, in this particular event that I, that I would have guessed that it would have had after more than half a decade of, of, uh, of, of this technology being in the community. Yeah, well, it's a great conference there, and uh, and I always like going to it. I was sorry I couldn't make it this time around. And as you can imagine, this topic of deep learning and artificial intelligence also crept its way into my testimony from the USCC, and that was another topic of conversation when we looked at the outlook of where supercomputing and high-performance computing are going. I would recommend all of our listeners, this is a huge topic, all of our listeners should go to top500.org, read Michael's article, The DOE and NSA Construct Doomsday Scenario for American HPC. That's got a link to that report from the NSA and DOE that we were discussing. And do go to uscc.gov and look up the hearing on China's pursuit of next frontier tech. You can download my written testimony as well as the video testimony or uh, not just mine, but all of the experts' testimony and the Q&A from that session. Uh, there was a lot to really digest there. Yeah, there was a lot to digest this week. Certainly, there's a lot of interest in this area. I don't think, uh, I think we're going to be talking about AI and machine learning throughout the year as we hit the different sectors that are starting to pick up on this. And certainly the competition, the international competition, especially with regard to China, I think this is going to be a constant topic throughout the year, especially in the, in the run-up to Exascale over the next three years, uh, I, I think it's just going to get more intense. And and considering all the political ramifications of this, uh, a lot more interesting over this time. Well, thanks to everyone for hanging in for a double long podcast as we we're making up on a lot of big news. Thanks a lot, Michael. We'll be back next week. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.